church this morning. And to all of you at home watching online, I know you rolled out of bed here in your jammies now. We're, we appreciate you too, so we're glad you're here. This morning, um, when I woke up, I had sort of a, a verse running through my head, and I just wanted to share that with you. From Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 24. And it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And I just really love that part about every day being new. And so we're going to sing some songs about newness. And we're going to sing some songs about just the power of God and the way that he looks out for us. So if you'll stand with me this morning, uh, we'll get started. Come away, 
sing that again. Like 
This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive where we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift Him high. With all creation, God, God, we praise Him. We'll see You break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive where we praise You. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift Him high. With all Lord, we come before you this morning and we praise you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. We pray that you'll be with us throughout this week. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. morning, guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Happy 4th of July. Yay. I'm assuming those of you who are excited, people are at home or on a beach somewhere. <laughs> Happy 4th of July. Yeah, there you go. Um, we, of course, live in a pretty great country. Is it the best? Is it perfect? Well, I shouldn't ask if it's the best because there are lots of people who might want to fight me on that. Um, I think it's a pretty great place. This is a wonderful country, and it's here because of the hard work of lots of people, men and women, who have served overseas, who served here to help make this a place uh, as good as it is for each of us. And we want to give God thanks for that. Uh, welcome here to Sunrise. If you're here for the first time, you need to know that if you used valet parking, we do not have valet parking. Uh, I've talked to Philip a few times about this, but he wants to keep using that excuse to try to get more offering. Um, My name is Dan. We're glad that you're here. Uh, We've got uh, several different things that are happening in the life of Sunrise. Out in the round, in the, um, not auditorium, foyer, thank you very much. Uh, out in the foyer, there's a round table there with some pieces of paper on it that will let you know what it is that's happening in our church this summer. All kinds of things like coming up 
very soon is a parent's uh, time out where kids can come here. Is that right? Yes. On the 9th? No. That's why you need one of the pieces of paper because it tells you the correct information. Um, in the seats in front of you and maybe up on the screen at some point in the service, you'll see a QR code. That will take you to our website where you'll find all of the announcements. You can ask us questions, fill out a form if you think that's helpful, where you can let us know how we can pray for you, uh, or just to let us know a little bit about yourself. Uh, point is, we're glad that you're here, whether you've been here for a long time or this is your first time here. Uh, before we jump in, let's pray. God, we, uh, we come here this morning on a day that is set aside as a country to celebrate the freedom that we have because of the work that we have done or people have done on our behalf. And for God, that, God, we are extremely thankful. Of all of the countries that we could have been placed in, we appreciate that we are here. And yet, God, more than that, we acknowledge that our work to create a place that we love to be in here is surpassed by so much more of a story that you're weaving together that brings with it the culmination of all things in a place where freedom and love and justice and mercy reign fully because of the work of your Son. And so, God, as we live and move and breathe here in this space, we ask that you would use us to transform this world, this country, with the love and the grace that comes from you and the the kingdom of which we are a part. We'll thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in the book of Acts. This is where we have jumped in over the last couple of weeks because, does anybody know about the pandemic that was here last year, year and a half? Uh, (laughs) We talked about how for that period of time of life, things were topsy-turvy for all of us. And then there was this point where things seemed to change a bit and there's been more freedom that's been given to us to kind of figure out our way back to a previous normal or our way forward to a new normal. Now, it's not exactly the same, but we find ourselves a bit in the same position as the disciples. Uh, Not long after uh, Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and then his ascension, he tells his disciples, go, you're in a new world now, and I want you to tell the world about me. You can either go backward or you can go forward. And it's the task of the disciples to move forward. And Luke, one of these people who believed that the story of Jesus was strong enough for him to hang his life on, decided to take off his doctor hat occasionally and sit and write a letter to Theophilus. Uh, He actually wrote two letters to Theophilus. The first one we call the Gospel of Luke. The second one is the book of Acts. And it's in the book of Acts that we find the activity the ups and the downs of the first community of Jesus who walked together to form the church. Now, we're looking at this book because it helps us see how do we resist moving backward and how do we continue to move forward in extremely practical ways. And so we find ourselves in the book of Acts. Uh, As we have gotten to this point, we've also let you know along the way, um, well, let me, I'll pause that part of the conversation for a minute. So we've been accumulating along the way Different things that God has been doing and the way that we see the community of God reacting to what God is doing. And so this morning, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 5. Along the way, we'll probably review a little bit some of the things that we've talked about in the past. So if you want to follow along, you're more than welcome to do that on an analog device or you can follow along here. Now, it looks like it did not save the reference here. Acts chapter 5 is where this is. Luke writes these words... To Theophilus. Now remember, from week one, we talked about Theophilus means friend of God. There's no proof of one person living 
who is called Theophilus. Now, that doesn't mean that there, there wasn't a person, but it does help us to see even more that this was a letter that, though not written to us, it is for all friends of God. And so in that light, we read these words. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. This is what the early disciples were doing. The people who had come from all over the place to celebrate Pentecost had started to do. We see that in Acts chapter 2. They're selling property to help people out. This is a couple who decided to do the same. With his wife's full knowledge, he, that is Ananias, kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. This is a way of saying they brought it to the church. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, this is a big deal. I mean, we grow up in an area where we've been taught for a long time, you should bring money to church. You should give money to church. And there are pastors who have used this passage to kind of beat us up about that. Pause button here. That is not the point of this passage. So if this triggers you, take a deep breath with me. Ready? One more. Okay, there we go. Even those of you at home, you can do that too. I have this phrase, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, highlighted, because for me, this echoes a bit of the story that we find in Genesis, right? We have Adam and Eve who are approached by who? Satan, who comes to them and says, essentially, God doesn't love you. You can find a better way forward. Peter sees in some way a relationship here between the actions of Ananias and Sapphira and the actions of Adam and Eve. He says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? This is not just the the action, the behavior, the thinking of yourselves. There is something within your thinking, the decision that you have made that anchors itself deeply in the heart, not of God's kingdom, but in the kingdom of this world. And it's at this point in this chapter, all of us can kind of be like, well, hold on a minute here, wait. (laughs) Like Ananias here, he just wanted to save a little bit of money so he'd have enough gas for the boat when they go up to the cabin this weekend. It's July 4, no big deal. Like he can make it up next month in the tithe that goes to the church, right? Why in the world is Peter accusing him of being manipulated by Satan? I want to suggest to you that there's a perspective that Luke is offering to us that as followers of Jesus is important for us to have, not just today, but even back then as Peter looked Ananias in the eyes and asked him this question. And that basic question that Peter is trying to surface by asking, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart, is this. In which kingdom are you anchoring yourself? In which kingdom... Are you anchoring yourself? Over the last few months, we've talked through the story of Scripture. And poor Joshua over here, he keeps falling down. We've glued him up there, we've Velcroed him up there, we've straight-pinned him up there, and he just wants to keep falling, which I think is probably just a good representation of the story of God's movement in the world. He continually lifts us up. That, okay, thank you. That, that was weak, but thank you for your help on that. I appreciate it. Um, It is this story that shows us the tension that exists between our own kingdom, the desire of Adam and Eve to find our own way forward, and the kingdom of God where the Son of God comes and shows us a new way to live. 
And what we have learned as we've gone through this story and as we've entered the story of Acts is that we are characters in a larger narrative that includes way more people than those in this room, way more than those watching online, and way more than those who called Christ Messiah today. And the question that is being asked of Ananias and Sapphira is the same question that we must ask ourselves when we peel back the layers, and that is, in which kingdom are you anchoring yourselves? So Peter asks it this way, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, this land? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You had the opportunity to make the choice here. We didn't come to you as the elders and sit in your living room and say, hey, pay up. This is your money. You had the opportunity to make the choice here. What made you think of doing such a thing? You haven't lied to just human beings but to God. Again here, there are layers that are being taken back. What Peter is essentially saying here is that when you, Ananias and Sapphira, make choices that reflect the kingdom of this world of lying, of self-protection, of saying one thing and doing another, you're anchoring yourselves deeply into this current world. But what we don't know is that as what we often forget is that as we live through life, the choices that we make now somehow impacts what's coming later. So when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died, and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. That's a pretty good understatement. (laughs) Some young men came forward, they wrapped up his body, they carried him out, and they buried him. Okay, so just a quick recap here. We've got uh, this couple. Uh, I'll call them Philip and Amy. Philip is my brother. Amy is my sister-in-law. This actually has nothing to do with them, but I don't believe we have a couple here with those names, so I'll use those names. Philip and Amy decide to sell a piece of property that that Philip's been hunting on for a while. Uh, He decides to tell the church, hey, yep, we're all in. We want to make sure that we give to you the proceeds from that property. It's a great market, though, and so they actually get a higher amount of money than they were anticipating, a bit of a bidding war here, and so they've got this extra $20,000 lump sum, and Ananias and Sapphira have dinner together. They have a conversation about what they want to do with this money. They think it's $20,000. The church is going to get the 150000 whatever it is that we promised we'd give them. By the way, if you, land, if you have that much that you're looking for a church to give to, I know our director's would firmly affirm that we have the gift of receiving. <laughs> anyway, let's give the church the $150,000. We'll use the $20,000 uh, to put new flooring in our home. So they come to the church. They're beaming with excitement. They pull out their envelope. They put it in the offering plate. And then there's this conversation with the pastor there. And then Ananias falls dead. And this story just seems bananas, right? Of course, if we were to hear that this is what happened at a church down the road, any one of the 30, we would be just like the disciples, those around who wondered what in the world is happening here. And what Luke is trying to do here is to say, friend of God, look deeper than what you can see only with your eyes in this world. Luke is not trying to say, 
pay up what you owe the church because if you don't, you will die. No, 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 no. That has absolutely nothing to do with this story. When Peter suggests to Ananias that as they're sitting at home talking about the extra proceeds from the sale of their property, there was some kind of presence there in the conversation that was more than just Ananias and Sapphira. There was this internal pull toward, well, if we can have this, we will then arrive. We know that this Jesus who has come and who has shown the power of God through his resurrection and the spirit that has come and made thousands of people come here, we know that that God sees all things and can do all things. However, if we would just make this choice ourselves, we think we can do better. And in that, I find, I see again, maybe perhaps you don't. I wonder if there is an echo here of Adam and Eve who are saying, yes, God, you are good, and if I don't eat of that tree, if I give what I should to you, but if there's just extra and I can take it and make things better, then things in the world around me will be better. Just like in the story of Adam and Eve, there is a death that comes. There is broken relationship between humanity, each other. There's a broken relationship between humanity and the world around them. There's a broken relationship between humanity and God. It's at this point in the story of Acts that we find this euphoric expression of God's created world called the church beginning to break down. And the same cycle that started in the creation in Genesis we find happening here with Ananias and Sapphira who are, attempt, who are tempted by Satan to do something differently than what the church has been called to do, and it results in death. Now, we know this. I mean, <laughs> we haven't seen people come up to the front of the church and fall over and die because they didn't give a certain amount of money. That's not what I'm referring to. But how many of us have not experienced death over the last year because of the decisions we or others have made whether it's been related to the pandemic or politics or our family or our friends, where we or someone else has decided to say, if I can just control this and manage it my own way, things will be better than they could be if I anchored myself in the way of Jesus. And we experience relational death, emotional death, and in this story specifically, there is physical death. Luke goes on to tell us that about three hours later, his wife came in, Sapphira. She came late to church. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, she said, this is the price. No, I guess the reader, you can can see Sapphira, Ananias just died. It's only been three hours. Maybe you didn't get news yet, but this is a bad call for you to make. Like, Adam and Eve, you both made the wrong choice to lie to God. It's not like God asked you, what happened? Where are you? Because he didn't know. Peter is not asking you, Sapphira, what happened here because he doesn't know. He's asking to find out which kingdom you're anchored in. Peter says in response to, yeah, that's the price. How could you conspire? Here we have it again. How could you conspire a third-party present to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, 
The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. Again, extremely sobering. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Planning over here to do something different than what the people of God were committing to do. What God described as the way to move forward, to bring our best and to offer it for the sake of blessing the world around us. We have people off to the side who are conspiring to do something differently, who are willingly saying with the temptation in their hearts, and contrary to the story that they know to be true, that we will not do what we know we should, and the result is death. So they carry out both Ananias and Sapphira, and they bury them. Now this chapter continues. (laughs) Percentage-wise, this is not even 50% of the chapter of Acts chapter 5. So there's more to this story, and as we look at the rest of this chapter, it helps us understand what's happening here in this part we've just read. The apostles, they performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade, if you guys remember, is that porch area that goes all the way around, uh, here, here's a picture of it, goes all the way around the Temple Mount. This pillared area is called Solomon's Colonnade. That top area, uh, you can see the kind of the second level, is where Stoics would have met. They would have gathered there as a group of people who would discuss Stoicism. The disciples picked out an area in this large wall that had a portico around it, uh, or a colonnade. And they found an area there where they hunkered down. So this is not a new place for them. This is a place where they had been. But uh, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else joined them. No one else dared join them. This is a contrast to when people were really excited that these followers of Jesus were there in Acts chapter 2. And people were flocking to them. This, we see, is the beginning of a breakdown in the community of God. Their standing with the world is beginning to crumble a bit because of the decisions that people have made to willfully live against the way God has said we should live. So no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Even though there are people within the church who make decisions that do not reflect the church and God's kingdom well, God still moves. So the apostles performed these signs. Nevertheless, more and more were added. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This church that the apostles were part of, this church that the Spirit of God began to move and work in, was bigger than and still moving forward in spite of the poor choices of people in the church. We find this to be true today, right? I mean, there are plenty of stories of pastors who are both known nationally or locally who have made awful choices, people in churches who have made choices, and we can assume that we have to somehow do something to pick up the pieces and make the church whole again, wondering if we have to do that or if God is able to move and still move his church forward. This is a reminder that, yes, we should be responsible people, But even when bad things happen inside the church, God still moves. All right, I got to go back here because this didn't quite work right. 
So we have all of these people coming to the apostles, wanting to have folks healed. The high priests see all of this. It's happening, again, in this Temple Mount area. This is not a secret thing that's happening. So the high priests and all of his associates, the professional Christians, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Sadducees were like the uh, judicial branch of the Jewish government. They were granted enough sovereignty to be able to implement their own laws and execute them. So for the Sadducees to show up and to begin to push back against the church creates a real threat. They arrested the apostles, put them in a public jail. These are a jail where people could see them to try to humiliate them. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. Move out from the edges where there is a porch where you can have your own side conversations and the Stoics and other people can have their own side conversations and take the message of my kingdom into the center of the temple. Recraft the way people see God based on what you've seen God do in the movement of Pentecost. And so during the night, this says that the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, and then it is at this point that the angel tells the apostles, go stand in the temple courts. And he said, tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach people. Here we have again an echo. (laughs) We have a Jesus who previously had been buried. He had been put into a tomb, a jail, if you will, and had been released and set free. And that same power of God that set Jesus free begins here to set the apostles free. And this creates a huge conundrum for the professional religious people at that time. So the high priest and his associates arrived at this prison to see that Peter wasn't there, and they called together the Sanhedrin, the big guns, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. Don't look for these folks among the dead, among the forgotten, but look for them among the living So these representatives, they go back to the Sanhedrin. They say, we found the jail securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. What Luke is painting for us here is this this picture, I think, of Adam and Eve who are making a poor choice separate and contrary to the way of what God wants in the creation story by dressing it up with Ananias and Sapphira who make a similar choice. Helps us see the link there. We also have these apostles who are followers of Jesus who are saying, I want to step into this story of Jesus. I want his life to affect mine. I want to be the flesh and body present in this world that helps the people around me see and know the story of Jesus. And so these representatives of Jesus are put in jail where they should be taken care of by the religious leaders and yet they are freed by the power of God's spirit. And so the hope that these apostles have had in the work and the power of Jesus who had been set free from the bondage of the world, Jesus was, and the bondage of death and was resurrected, these same apostles are released from their own bondage and set out into the world with this reminder that that same spirit is within them. 
And as the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, go to this jail, to this tomb, and they don't find the apostles there, it's just like the disciples who came to the tomb and did not see there what they expected to find. When the church is imperfect, which it has been many times, we've read the stories about scandals in the church. The church can be put in jail and can be assumed that it has been contained, that it has been overcome by the kingdom of this world. And though there is discipline that needs to happen in the story of Acts chapter 5, it's with Ananias and Sapphira. In our current day, it's with leaders who have made awful choices. The church of God is greater than and is stronger than what can be contained by the kingdom of this world. And it's something that instead is pushed forward into the center stage and it should be brought there by us, followers of Jesus who have said that it is the story of Jesus that is sturdy enough for us to hang our lives on. But this, of course, causes problems for the professional Christians, I mean, the, the, the professional religious people. You've got denominations, you've got non-denominational churches, you've got national writers embodied in this Sanhedrin, these Sadducees who shaped the larger religious construct of the Jews, and they're upset Someone comes and says to the group of people who are upset, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers, brought the apostles. They didn't use force this time because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And here we enter the inner sanctum of the Jewish religious world. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, of Jesus' blood. The story you're teaching implicates us. It says that we are a people who have been anchored in the kingdom of this world and that Jesus came and represented the kingdom not of this world. And you're saying that we are over here and that we killed a Jesus who came to represent that kingdom and we can't handle that because that challenges our power. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. It is this point in the story that we very clearly see where it is our own eyes should be, just as they were for Peter in the process of making difficult choices. Our eyes should be on God and God's kingdom rather than human beings in the kingdom of this world. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied again, we must obey God rather than human beings, and then they point the finger and they say, you killed this man by hanging him on a cross. And the tension rises in the room. What's going to happen here? We've got followers of Jesus who are standing in front of the religious leaders of the day, the folks who hold power, and these followers of Jesus who, again, are finding the story of Jesus strong enough to hang their lives on, are pointing their fingers in the face of folks who don't understand the story. 
Peter goes on to say that God exalted this Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, okay, there are lots of other verses here. Here's what happens. Gamaliel says, look, we've had so many people come up and come into the temple and teach all of these different things. Yeah, they've all had people who've gathered around them and they have started to make a little bit of ruckus, but they have died down. So let Peter and the disciples alone. And if God is blessing what they are doing, it will continue and we don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But if they are representing something that is wrong, it will die down. And so at the end of this chapter... We have these disciples that we fast forward who have been through all of these issues. They've been in front of the courts of the Jews who are set free. They're free to go and to live in the world that they have been living in, in a new way. And the challenge that they face is to make sure that they're living a life not anchored in the values of this world where we can say, we have it figured out. Or if we will do things our own way, regardless of what our spiritual ancestors have taught us, regardless of the work of Jesus, regardless of what it is the church in its truest form should be doing, we will do our own thing. We should resist that. And instead, we should live the kind of life that Peter and the disciples exemplify and show us at Pentecost which looks like this. We are a people whose stories are much larger than a transaction of a piece of property where there's a little bit extra and we don't know what to do with it. But if we zoom in on those little choices and we decide to do the things that are selfish, then we sow pockets of death around us. If I choose to self-protect when I've done something wrong that I need to repent. I drop little seeds of death between me and my spouse, between me and the people I work with, between me and God. When you decide to set aside your grievances that are based on your understanding of how something should work, And you zoom out enough from that to say, you know what, that argument is not that important. I will instead focus on the ways of Jesus and pursuing justice and mercy and life. Then we plant seeds of life. And so Ananias and Sapphira in this story give us an example of the fallout that comes when we make selfish choices. Maybe it results in physical death, maybe it doesn't, but it does result in death. We see the story of Peter and the disciples who make choices that are firmly made based on the kingdom of God. And those seeds of life are still present, and those seeds of life are strong enough to sustain the people of God and the movement of God all the way through the story of our past and of our present and of our future. God, we're thankful today for... Uh, the work of your Son who came in powerful ways, the work of your Spirit that is still present with us now so that we are able to see and to live a life uh, that follows you, 
Even in the midst of wanting to make choices uh, personally for ourselves uh, that we think will be best, that are separated from who you are and the story that you've given, God, it can be tough. And so in the places of our lives where we have made choices that sow death, uh, would you help us to see those things? Would you help us to repent of those things? In the places where we feel worn down because we've made right choices, when it feels like the wrong ones are really easy to make, help us to see the glimpses of life that come because of that. We love you and we thank you for today in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, at the end of every service, we close uh, with different ways to give. You can give by singing your hearts out, a way to give to God, to him what he's due. Praise by singing, uh, living as we should be by interacting with folks here, sharing stories, uh, or by giving to the church. Now, there's no one here who's going to be watching and is going to come up to you and ask you about how much you gave and was that what you said you were going to give. But we want to give those opportunities because we think that's important for us as a church to do those things. So give as you need to, again, whether that's singing, whether that's clicking on the QR code here to give digitally or to give financially back at the bucket there uh, or to hang out with folks after service. to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven With just one touch My eyes are open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that our God can't do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, you hear the horn inside me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Go ahead and stand with me. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do, there's not a mountain that He can't move. Praise His name, makes a way.
Nice. Sing this out with me. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe. Sing it out. For greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like His power. There's nothing that our God can do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can do. Yeah, there's nothing that our God can do. There's not a May we be a people who, in the midst of all kinds of choices and opportunities, be folks who plant seeds of life, uh, who pursue what it is that God has for us, uh, rather than our own purposes. Uh, I forgot to, you guys can go and grab a seat. I forgot to uh, bring up something at the beginning of my time up here, so I want to do that real quick. Um, uh, Several weeks ago, we let you know that we were, well, several months ago, we let you know that we were working on a new logo. Several weeks ago, we invited you to give us some feedback on a couple of those versions. Uh, We appreciate your feedback. The elders have made a final decision, and so I wanted to share with you uh, the final logo. We are excited about this. Uh, The old logo will at some point pass away, uh, and this one will begin to come out. Uh, We are Sunrise because we are a group of people who want to help bring God's love and grace to the world around us, to bring seeds of life, to bring his love. And the sunrise every day reminds us of God's goodness that comes regardless of how dark the night was before. It burns through the clouds that from our perspective as the sun hits from the back look dark and shady, but it is the life of God that can burn through those dark clouds and bring life. And so that's who we aim to be. Just wanted to let you know that's our logo, and we are excited about that. Guys, as you celebrate the 4th of July, may your fingers stay on your hands. And may you have a lot of fun. We love you guys. Have a great week.